of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending He. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see, evermore and evermore. O ye heights of heaven, adore him, with us the call to worship that you see up there. Look, I am sending my messenger. Go tell what you have seen. God's awesome wonders fill the earth. The lost are found, the blind receive sight, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor are preached to, and those who are dead in spirit receive new life. Is this what you were expecting to see? Blessed are they who trust in the Lord. For his yoke is easy, his burdens are light. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, we come this morning with our hearts open before you. We acknowledge your greatness and we thank you for inviting us to worship you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is soon. Tell what you hear and see, even now, like water in the desert. We see God's action all around. As we gather strength, we light this candle as a sign of your love made visible among us. Bring, Bring your, your restoration, restoration to, to your, your people, people, we pray. Verses 1 and 3 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
If you're able, please stand with us for the next two songs. Emmanuel, number 134. Verses 1, 3, and 4.
You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh God, even this morning, in the quietness of this place, we want to receive your gifts. We want to receive the gift of yourself. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We also give back to you our gifts, the time and talents we share with others, the treasures we give so others benefit. Bless our offerings of money, volunteering, singing, praying, in the church and in the world, for your glory and our good. Amen. I'll be reading from Matthew 11, verses 2 to 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Are any of the little lambs here this morning? My own sheep are safely grazing, so I have a bit of time. Come on up. Any little lambs that are in the back, perhaps? Or you can watch from there. That's fine, too, if you're not feeling well. We're going to talk about the weather because shepherds love to talk about the weather. Can you imagine why? I suppose the farmers here would know especially why. Come on up. What kind of weather do you like the best? I'm going to guess. Well, I'm not going to guess. I'm going to ask you. Tyler, what kind of weather do you like the best? When it's when it's outside when you when you're outside, what kind of outside do you like the best? Sunny or rainy? Probably sunny, although I do like a little bit of rain. Yes, and I like it when the snow is falling too. But that happens almost never where I'm from. I'm from near Bethlehem, and it does get cold. That's the thing you may not know about Bethlehem. Right now, it's actually pretty cool. Not quite freezing, but definitely cold and rainy. Yes, 
you might not have known things about Bethlehem because you've probably never been there, but most people who hear about it think that Bethlehem and Israel is always dry and hot, but that's not true. Right now, there's plenty of grass for the little sheep to eat. And that's important because the lambs are going to start coming in March. Yes. And all this rain in Bethlehem right now is going to make things amazing by April. Things are going to start blooming. Things will be green. But after that, that's when it starts getting hot and dry. From May until October, rarely a drop of rain for those five months. And that's a problem for all the animals. When I was a kid walking around with the sheep, helping my dad, that's the time of year I would pretend that I was one of the Israelites leaving Egypt, walking in the desert. It was so easy to imagine because it was hot and dry. Can you imagine living in a desert? Do you know what it's like in a desert, Noel? There's just no trees, no streams, just dry. No bubbling brooks, no green grass. I thought I had it pretty bad as a shepherd in Bethlehem being so poor, but it would be even worse to have to stay out in the desert all the time. But that reminds me of one of my favorite Bible verses that our family used to talk about. It's from Isaiah the prophet. He promised that someday a great change would come. Kind of like a change in the weather. He said that there would be streams in the desert. Streams in the desert. A dry land would be blooming like Bethlehem in April. But that isn't all. He promised that there'd be no evil and no pain no diseases, no colds, no flus, and people would only know happiness because they would be rescued by God. Now, you guys may have remembered me talking last week about when I was a kid, I wasn't always that happy, kind of a gloomy child. But there was nothing that I looked forward to more than the cool rain and the grass under my bare feet, and flowers. And even though I was pretty sad during that hot, dry time because there was none of those things, by the end of October, that's exactly what would start to happen. The rain would come and things would start to green up. And I felt it was like a miracle every year. And it always seemed to happen just when I thought I couldn't take another hour of that hot wind and parched land and scorching sun. Now, I have a little job for you guys to do. Can you remember this week that when things are tough, when things are cold, to think about springtime coming. And when things are hard, I want you to imagine God bringing life into your hearts and lives. And even when the other people around you are worried or sad, I want you to tell them that God can bring goodness to hard places. If you're not sure what that means, you could ask someone else who loves God 
how they have seen God doing things. And I happen to know that we are part of how God does things. <laughs> when you guys talk about God's goodness to others, that helps them experience it. Imagine that. You are part of bringing God's happiness. I have more things to tell you, but I can't yet. You know, I'm not the same as I was when I was a kid. And believe it or not, God chose me to be one of the first to know some good news that everyone had waited for, but oh, I have to wait till next week to tell you more about that. Let's get another stone here on the old wall before the rain comes because, oh, if you look up there just over the horizon, you see that cloud coming? Yeah, it's going to rain. I'm pretty sure it's going to rain. I, I want to get this work done on the wall before the rain comes. Uh, I think this is a good one right here. Expectation. Expecta it could be snow. It looks like it could be rain or snow. You're right. Expectation. Well, pretty soon you lambs need to scamper back to your flock. But I'll come back next week and tell you more. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we feel dry, like a desert. Show us what it is like to have your love growing in the hard times. Thank you. Amen. So ages 3 to 11, you guys get to go to children's church. The rest of you stay with your flock. All right. Good morning. Please bow with me as we pray for the little ones. Our God, we thank you for each and every one of the children of our congregation. And we pray that now that they are in children's church, that they have their eyes open to you. We pray also for the teachers, give them the words to say and the perseverance to say it. And we also want to pray a blessing on our service today. Please open our eyes to the wonder that you have to show us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles on you, if not your Bibles, if you have your bulletins on you, now's the time to take them out. Wednesday, 6.45, prayer meeting at the church. I'm on deck to lead it, 6.45. So, I encourage you to come out for that. Uh, Thursday, 7.30, the high school girls Bible study. They are having their Christmas party at Bethany, so bring a snack to share. Uh, and then next Sunday is Sunday school and then also the worship service. It'll be the last Sunday school for the year as well because the Sunday after next Sunday is Christmas Day. So uh, next Sunday, 9.45. Uh, come on out for that. Skipping down. There is going to be a Christmas morning service because we always have a Christmas morning service. And also because Christmas is on the 25th this day. It'll be at 1045 a.m. Uh, and then... Ah, uh, yeah, Christmas is on the 25th. You know what I meant. Ah. <laughs> uh, but... 
Christmas morning service, December 25th. There's also going to be a potluck lunch to follow, so bring uh, some good things. Uh, also, if you can't make it because you were off to a family gathering or anything like that, completely understandable. But if you know of anybody that doesn't have anything going on that day, let them know that we have a service going on. It's always a good thing to be around other people on Christmas. We also have the care home service that same day at 3 p.m., and I'm looking forward to that. The Christmas service at the care home has always been a wonderful thing. So that's at 3 p.m. on the 25th. If you can make it out, come to that as well. And then January 1st, Emily Wright tells me that we are on deck for the tubing hill. There are two shifts of four people each. Uh, if you are interested in serving, uh, there's four people each, so there's one at the bottom of the hill, two at the top, and then there is also uh, the canteen we are running, and I think one just goes around. So if you're interested in serving at the Tubing Hill, come talk to me, and I will get you in touch to make sure that you're good to go. That is January 1st. I've done it before myself. It is a good time, and so I'd encourage you to sign up if you have the day free for the Tubing Hill. All right. Anything else as far as announcements go? All right, so let's look then at the items for prayer. Uh, first off, Tina Taves, uh, as I mentioned last Sunday, she very much so hurt her hand. She's with Reynolds right now, uh, and she'll be there for a while until it was her right hand, so uh, until it gets good enough that she can come home. So we definitely want to pray for healing for her. Uh, and then also we want to pray for the church during this Advent season. Very soon we are getting to Christmas, but we aren't there yet. We are still at the time where we are looking forward, taking note of everything and looking forward to Christ. So we want to pray that our hearts are prepared so that when season, when Christmas comes, that we really hit it with all that we are. And it is getting into the Christmas season now, which means that for many people, this is a very hard time of year as well. And so we want to keep them in our prayers and in our minds. So please join me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you this morning, first off in praise for the season we are in. First off in praise for the time of being encouraged to actually stop and take stock of who we are, and then looking forward to you. All too often it feels like just everything is go, 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 but now is the time that we look forward to your arrival. And that shows us new things about you. It teaches us new truths that otherwise we don't have it in us to learn. And so, God, we pray, impress upon us just what that can mean. God, we pray as we look forward to your coming that we are moved in new ways, shaped in new ways, prepared in new ways for your arrival. God, this we pray. But, Lord, we also know that this season is a difficult time for many. And so, God, we pray for those that Christmas and all the family that comes along with that often, for who that is a hard time. And there are many reasons why that might be, and all of them legitimate. And God, our heart goes out. And so, God, we pray for the people for whom this is a hard time of year.
for the people that have lost family recently, for the people for whom family is not a comfort, for the people for whom this time of year reminds them of hard things. Lord, we pray for them, we pray comfort for them, and we pray that you will be seen comforting as well. Lord, this we put before you. And we also wanna pray for our sister, Tina. We wanna pray for her after she has hurt her hands so badly. God, we pray for healing. Lord, we pray that soon she will be right as rain. God, we pray for Reynolds, and we thank you so much that he could just take her in. And Lord, we pray that there will be a good bonding that happens during this time as well. But God, we pray for healing. Lord, all of these things we bring before you today, and each of them we place at your feet. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. This morning, as I said, is the third Sunday of Advent. The third Sunday where we stop, where we take account of ourselves, and then we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, both in that manger as well as one day when he arrives again in all glory. And for today, we find ourselves in a fitting passage in Matthew 11, verses 2 to 11, if you have your Bibles on you. Matthew 11, verses 2 to 11. And who we find in this passage is a character familiar to us. We find John the Baptist once again. But a lot has happened to John the Baptist since we saw him last week. An awful lot. It started off pretty good, not too long after our passage last week. Then John met his Messiah, met Jesus Christ, and he baptized him and named him the Messiah, the one that would speed the coming of the kingdom of heaven. But then not too long after that, the message that John had spent his entire life preaching, has spent his entire life living out, has spent his entire life embodying, well, that message got him in a ton of trouble. Because the king at the time, his name was Herod and Typus. Ah, see, I'm not always good at Greek and Roman names. But Herod and Typus, the king at the time, he did something that ran him pretty afoul of John and the kingdom of heaven. He had divorced his wife and then took that opportunity to marry his sister-in-law, who was also his niece. And if that sounds really weird, then I would encourage you not to read any more about his family, because that's actually pretty tame by their standards. But to that, then John preached the same message that he had preached far and wide. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For some, that 
has been a wonderful message, and for others that was a threat. And Herod took it as a threat, to which John was thrown in jail. And that is where he has been since our last passage, and that was years ago. And jails in those days were not so much like jails today. Jails today are by no means a cakewalk, but in those days, they weren't really designed for long-term living in them. And so they were kind of dank pits in the ground, sometimes way too hot, sometimes way too cold, always just terrible. And that is where John has been. But we are told that he had one luxury, and that we can see at the beginning of our passage today. People could come and they could visit him. Why it is that they could visit him, that we don't know. But we do know that food was not something always provided for prisoners. And so often that had to come from outside. So if I had to be a betting man, I would say that was probably why. But our passage today begins with two of his disciples coming to see him in jail. To which John sends them with a message. When they come, we know that John, there is something hard on his heart. And so he sends them a message, go see the Messiah and tell him this. To which then they go to Jesus and they relay the message. And boy, does the message ever slap in the face. Are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for? Or should we keep looking for someone else? John found himself wavering in his faith. Why it is that John was wavering in his faith, that we don't know. There are two excellent bets that we could make. The first one is because this isn't the first time we've ran into the disciples of John. Back in Matthew 9 is another time when we run into them. At that point, then, Jesus and his followers were just done partying and having a good time, to which John's disciples confront them on them. Why are you living in this way? And Jesus' answer is because the guest of honor is now. And he's here with us now. I am here. And so now is the time to party. Soon I'll be gone and the party will stop. And then one day again, when I come in all glory, then the party will keep on. And if that explanation had found its way to John, there's an excellent chance that that might be why he was wavering in his faith as we come into our passage today. John's a pretty austere kind of guy. John is kind of the let's wear camel hair and go out into the desert and yell at people about repenting type of guy. He's not really the life of the party. But there's another option as well. Because John's message has never changed. The message that got him put into jail. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is soon to arrive. John was in jail now because he had preached that message, lived that message. And that message very much so ran in the face of Herod, who was very much so someone against the coming of the kingdom of God. And so John, who thought the kingdom was soon to arrive, now in jail because of one of those enemies of the Lord. John, who thought that the Messiah that he named surely would bring on the kingdom as fast as possible. 
you can kind of understand why it is that he might be wondering, are you really the Messiah? Because if you are, then where is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom that we long for? But to this doubting, we might expect Jesus to act in any other way. We might expect him to tear a strip off of John's disciples, but we don't get that. Instead, we get verse 4. Go back to John and tell him about what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. If that sounds like a mighty specific list of things, it's because it is. Your Bible might have an asterisk that points you to the bottom, but if it doesn't, it's because those six things verbatim are how Isaiah describes what the coming kingdom of God will be like. You might be doubting, John, but look at what I am doing and see that it is bringing the kingdom. What I am doing might not look like what you think it should look like, John, but what I am doing is bringing the kingdom. To which Jesus follows up with a beatitude of all things. A beatitude we often forget because it's not where we usually think of the beatitudes to be. In our minds, when we think of the Beatitudes, we think to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But here is one right in the middle of Matthew 11, five, I don't know, six chapters too late. But it's a Beatitude all the same. Blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. We're going to come back to that one in just a bit. But... After that, we read that John's disciples are somewhat satisfied with what they've seen because they've seen the kingdom being built and so they are about to go back to see their masters, to see John in prison. And that's when Jesus addresses the crowd before him. And the crowd before him very likely is a number of people that followed John in their day as well, that were disciples of John before they came to be disciples of Jesus. And the way that he addresses them, where you might expect because John wavered in his faith, now Jesus would take this opportunity to really put down John. We don't get that either. Instead, what we get is, why did you follow John to begin with? Why did you go out to see him in the wilderness? Was it because he is as weak as a reed, moved by every breath in the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? Those who dress like that live in palaces, not in the wilderness. Were you looking for a prophet? Well, that is what you found. John was a prophet. 
John was the man who scripture itself referred to as the one that was going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. John was greater than all prophets. John was greater than all people born of women, it says even. And there we immediately start to snicker to ourselves as we remember the circumstances of the Messiah's birth, of Jesus's birth. But even John, the greatest of all prophets, will look insignificant next to the people of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that John helped prepare the way for. And our passage comes to an end, and we don't get told how it is that the meeting between John's disciples and John goes, but a couple of chapters after this is when John is put to death, and he's put to death because of the wickedness of Herod and his family, because John never wavered from that message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We don't, between this passage and that one, get any indication that John ever wavers in his faith again. Today we are into the third Sunday of Advent, the third Sunday of stopping and recollecting and then looking forward to the coming of our Lord, both in that manger and also one day when he arrives again in all glory. And once again, we find ourselves with, I guess, the patron saint at this time of year, with John the Baptist, with a man that in everything he is points the way to the coming of the Messiah. But today we find a very different picture of him than the one that we had last week. Last week, the picture we got of John was John that was in his prime. John who was out in the wilderness calling upon all to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John who told the rich and the powerful to their face that they needed to repent just the same as everybody else or else woe to you. That's not the picture we get of John today. The picture we get of John today is John after his prime, John after he has been sitting in a cell for two years, John who has been beaten down by life to the point where he is questioning if the Messiah that he baptized, the Messiah that he named is actually the Messiah at all. I think there's something pretty relatable in that. I mean, who among us has not found ourselves in that place ourselves where we're just questioning after a lifetime of following the Lord what it is that we thought was the way things should be at one point and years down the line, it's something different, we find ourselves wondering, are you actually the Messiah? 
we find ourselves doubting. Particularly at this time of Advent, we find that to be the case. This time where we stop and we reflect and we look forward to the coming of the Lord doesn't escape us that it's been 2,022 years. John was the greatest of all prophets. And yet in our passage today, we see him doubt. But then how do we see Jesus respond to that doubt? Do we see Jesus tear a strip off of John? Do we see Jesus tell him that, no, you're wrong for thinking the ways that you're thinking? What we see is Jesus, when John is like, are you really the Messiah? We see Jesus in a loving way show John exactly that, yeah, that's the case. Look at the blind see, look at the lame walk, look at the lepers that are cured, the deaf that hear, the dead that are raised to life, and the good news that's being preached to the poor. When John comes to the Lord questioning, we don't see a rebuke, we see an answer. And then it goes more than that even because we get to the end part where Jesus addresses the crowd in front of him and what do we see there? Do we see Jesus tear a strip out of John for the sake of building himself up with all the crowd? No, we, we see Jesus say glowing things about John, calling him the greatest prophet and the greatest of people and showing how what it is that John had done is paving the way for the coming kingdom of heaven. And then we get that missing beatitude. Blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. There are two ways to read that beatitude. One is more common than the other. But that same one that is very common also doesn't really make too much sense in the context of the passage. You can read that beatitude to say, when Jesus says, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me, you can read it to say, well then, best to never question anything. God works in mysterious ways and just kind of leave it there, surface level. I dare say that is the more common way that beatitude has been explained. But does that fit with the passage? John sends his disciples to talk to Jesus and ask him exactly the way that he is stumbling in his faith, that he's questioning his faith, to which Jesus then answers him. This is why you can be assured before then praising what John has done and showing how it is, in fact, paving the way for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Does it make sense 
to read that beatitude as saying, don't ever question the ways of the Lord. Don't ever question your faith. If everything around it is John questioning in his faith and then being assured, I really don't think it does. But you can also read that beatitude in a very different way. You can also read it to say, blessed are you who know the Lord, who have a good enough relationship with Jesus that you don't stumble in your faith. And while that might sound similar, that's a world apart. Because what that implies is that when you have your questions, when you have those things in your mind that just you don't know, then who do you bring it to? You bring it to Jesus. To read the Beatitude in that way, blessed are those who have a good enough relationship with Jesus that they don't stumble in their faith. That implies that you build your relationship with Jesus. When you question, you come to him. When you just don't know, you come to him. You spend your time in your scripture. You spend your time in prayer. When you find yourself with the big questions, you go looking for answers. And then when you find those answers that lead to more questions, rinse, repeat. That's how I would think that this passage should be read, how the beatitude should be read. It should be read to say that it's not a bad thing if you find yourself questioning your faith. What it means is that now you can go to the Lord with that. And he will show you the answers you need. Truth be told, suspecting there aren't many questions that we can have about our faith 2,000 years in that don't have an answer for God to provide. Today we find ourselves in the third Sunday of Advent, the third Sunday of stopping and taking stock before we look forward to the manger, look forward to the second coming of our Lord in all glory. And what we find today is a picture of John the Baptist that isn't John in his prime, but at the same time is in many ways, a more needed picture. Because what we find today is the story of how one of the greatest heroes of the faith ever struggled with his faith, just as we struggle with our faith. And how the Lord Jesus answered him 
to show him his full glory in the same way that if we go looking with the questions that we have, he will do for us. And that is a hallelujah right there. Amen. As we prepare for a communion, I invite you to sing with us number 140, a communion hymn for Christmas.
I'd like to ask the servers to come forward. We read in 1 Corinthians, for this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass on to you just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. At McGregor EMC, we believe that communion is open to all believers. Although we do ask, if you have little ones with you, you make that decision for yourself. As the elements are being handed out to everyone here, I'd ask you take the time to come before the Lord, to be honest with him of all of the things that keep him from working through your life. Bring them before him.
in communion, we join together with all the other believers today yet to come and who have gone before us all the way back to our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So keeping this wonderful truth in mind, together with all of them, we eat. And together we drink. Now I ask that you join us in reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Turn to the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go this week and serve our loving God. Verse 4. And I.